Hey, what's up? This is Gustavo Ariano. Every Friday, we're turning over the mic to one of my awesome LA Times colleagues, and today we welcome Kevin Rector. He used to cover the Baltimore Police Department and came to the LA Times in 2020 to cover the Los Angeles Police Department. And what a year to start covering it, am I right? Today, he brings us a personal story about an officer that Kevin recently profiled and the complex job that is covering the police. I'm Kevin Rector. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is Friday, August 13th, 2021. Los Angeles police officer Michael Silva first landed on my radar when I saw a video of him working at a protest in downtown Los Angeles. Some young protesters who were Black were calling him racial slurs, Silva's Black too, and flashing middle fingers in his face. Silva looked stoic, uh, calm, um, but I wondered what was going on in his head. As the LAPD reporter for the LA Times, I'd been to similar protests in the city, including after the murder of George Floyd, and seen the anger and frustration up close. I've also seen black officers like Silva on skirmish lines, standing there in riot gear, opposite protesters denouncing the way the department treats black people. I thought those officers' perspective was important to get and share. But it can be hard to penetrate the minds of rank-and-file officers, in part because they aren't allowed to talk to journalists without the permission of the police department. Thankfully, Silva agreed to talk to me, and the LAPD let him. Told him, hey, I've always wanted to kind of be a police officer, but there's this hesitancy. My family's not okay with it. You know, they have their certain views on it. Um, I ended up trying it out and I took it step by step. And in my head, I was saying, hey, if I fell a step, you know, it's not meant to be. I'm not going to redo the step. Since 2010, the portion of LAPD officers who are black has dropped from 14% to 9%. And while that percentage matches up with the percentage of LA that is black, City and police leaders fear the number could fall further due to attrition among older black officers and younger ones. Younger black officers are facing new challenges in the current atmosphere around policing, especially in the wake of George Floyd's murder and the many demonstrations against police brutality that have taken place over the past 18 months. We don't see no riot gear. Put away your riot gear. We don't see no riot here. Put away your riot gear. We don't see no riot We do not need police. Police need us oh, wow. to justify their oversized inflated budgets, to justify extracting resources from our communities and using them to abuse and murder us. In addition to heckling from activists on the streets, some who call black officers traitors, black officers are subjected to internal racism within the police department which has always existed, but surfaced in new ways since last year's protests. After a Minneapolis police officer killed Floyd in custody in May 2020, there were huge protests all across the country. They went on for months. In LA, they were mostly peaceful, according to the LAPD's own data, but some spiraled out of control. In particular, in late May and early June, clashes between protesters and police in downtown LA and in the Fairfax district turned ugly. Protesters blame police. Police blame individuals who they say took advantage of the size of the demonstrations to cause chaos and commit crime. Police injured protesters. People in the crowd also injured officers. Millions of dollars in damage was sustained by businesses, which were burglarized and burned. At those protests and since, activists have pushed for funding to be taken away from major police departments like the LAPD. 
and their substantial budgets redirected to social services in communities that are disproportionately impacted by poverty, violence, mental illness, homelessness, addiction, trauma, and other factors that might be better addressed by clinicians than officers with guns. Some police officers have felt like they and their profession are under attack and when the city can least afford it. The city council trimmed the LAPD's budget by $150 million. The department is down hundreds of officers from before the start of the pandemic. And violent crime has surged, with homicides this year up 23% over last and shootings up more than 40%. So that's the context in which I watched Silva standing opposite those protesters in that viral video. It's the context in which he has worked as a cop, too, trying to square his job and his hopes for it with his past and future as a black man in the U.S., especially at times when protesters are accusing him of turning his back on his own identity. You have to ask yourself, because Black individuals are calling me a traitor and they are calling me a house hey, did I betray them? Hey, am I not here because I'm serving, you know, for them or I'm serving them? I want to make this a better community, but at the same time, I also want to make Los Angeles Police Department a better department in whole. We'll be back after this break. Let's back up. Back before the protests, before Silva stood on those steps and got screamed at, to the beginning. Silva's beginning. When he was a baby, he was found by LAPD officers near 6th and San Pedro streets in Skid Row, less than a mile from that spot where the young protesters screamed in his face last year. My mom was a uh, crack addict and a prostitute, so she was working. Um, I was found on top of a dumpster um, in a car seat. Um, officers had observed me. They contacted uh, the uh, social services. I was taken immediately. Um, I'm not sure if my mother was arrested, but, um, you know, further moving, I was put into a foster home. Because of his biological mother's addiction, Silva battled with developmental delays from the exposure, first in foster care. Later, he was adopted and raised in a blended family. His mom's white, his dad's Latino. He grew up in Baldwin Park in West Covina in the 90s and early 2000s and had a lot of Latino neighbors and friends, but few black ones. And as a teenager, he says he was racially profiled on multiple occasions by police. I remember certain occasions when I would be walking and officers would see me and they'd probably see a black male and they'd, they'd slow down and they'd look. And I kind of like get that uncomfortable feeling like, oh crap, I already knew what was going on. I'm being profiled. And I kind of, my heartbeat would go, my armpits get sweaty, just the, the whole uh, shebang. And I kind of look over and I kind of wave. And what I get back was just a dirty look. And then you're kind of like, okay, what's going on? And then they pull over on the street and then you continue walking and then they slowly follow you. That was not on a day-to-day basis, but that happened frequently. After high school, Silva was not thinking about becoming a police officer. First, he worked at a pizza place, then at a Best Buy. Then he started working as a case manager with homeless clients, trying to find them housing. That last job he really liked, it seemed important to him. And it was on the job when Silva met an LAPD officer who also worked with people experiencing homelessness. That officer told Silva he'd make a great cop. At first, Silva wasn't so sure. He knew some people in his family would be very skeptical, 
But the more he thought about it, the more it seemed like something he'd like. So he took the leap. He joined the police department and graduated from the police academy in 2019. And after a probationary period in Rampart Division, he requested a permanent placement in the Central Division. The Central Division is home to some of L.A.'s poorest neighborhoods and poorest residents. It's also home to Skid Row, where Officer Silva was found as a baby. He wanted to be there to give back. So let's fast forward now back to the night where that viral video was captured. Silva normally worked patrol downtown, but that night had been given protest duty. A grand jury in Louisville, Kentucky, had declined to charge police officers there in the fatal shooting of a black woman named Breonna Taylor, and some big crowds had gathered in downtown L.A. Silva was stationed outside of LAPD headquarters. I remember uh, gearing up, uh, going right there in front of uh, police headquarters, standing on the steps, holding my post. I remember all the protesters kind of uh, walking by the first time, and they weren't as rowdy. Um, They walked through, they went all the way down to Spring Street. And then once they started working their way back, that's when we heard over the radio that, hey, things were kind of getting out of hand. They were starting to kind of vandalize businesses. As the crowd grew in front of headquarters, Silva moved up and stood near the line of gates. A few young protesters in horror masks came up and they started taunting him, tossing out racial slurs and flashing the middle finger in his face. By that time, I've been, I was well-trained, and I was kind of used to it. But I'm not going to lie, in the beginning, I was shell-shocked because that's something that Black individuals don't really use towards each other. And especially the way that they said it was with menace in their voice. Silva said he watched the protesters' eyes and hands for threats, but didn't see any. Um, from his perspective, they were just venting frustration and anger in an immature way. It was one of a lot of encounters in the past year and a half in which Silva's dual identity as a black man and a police officer has left him straddling one of the nation's most volatile cultural fault lines and feeling criticized for not landing solidly on either side. Silva said he's also had difficult encounters with fellow police officers. Last year, he was involved in a situation where a black man being questioned on the street by an aggressive white officer asked to speak with Silva instead and the white officer hit Silva on the arm and referred to the color of his skin. Smacks me on the arm. Here's a black-skinned officer. Silva said he felt that other officers had said black-skinned with disgust. And he said he's had other officers tell him to never show any solidarity or compassion or understanding for Black Lives Matter protesters or other activists in the street. He said a lot of activists and a lot of his fellow officers seem to have drawn battle lines separating the two groups, but he doesn't really see it that way. Silva doesn't think the LAPD should be defunded because he thinks police play an important role in public safety and that LA needs good cops. But he also thinks that social service providers, people doing work with the homeless like he used to do, are also incredibly important and should be funded as well. He doesn't like the way protests have turned violent and spurred property damage across the city, but he also doesn't dismiss the Black Lives Matter movement wholesale. The message that I get from them uh, when things aren't burning and when it's not as hectic is, hey, our lives matter too. We're tired. We want the same amount of equal rights. We want the same amount of equal pay. We want the same amount of equal opportunities, whether it be within school or workplace and our everyday regular lives. We want it equal and we want it now. 
Silva told me that he truly believes that the way to achieve better police-community relationships is for police officers and community members to start getting to know each other better, to start seeing each other as human beings, not just badges or crime statistics. He knows it won't be easy, but he remains optimistic about being a police officer. Do we have a long way ahead of us? Yes, we do. Uh, especially with the protests that we go through day to day on a day to day basis. Um, but like I said, it's all about sitting down with Black Lives Matter and, and kind of reaching a resolution. You know, we can't do it old school where we, hey, nobody leaves until each side is heard out. Um, but at the end of the day, we're police officers. We've got to do our job and we got to serve the community and we got to do what's best for everyone. Um, do we want to go home safely and see our family? Yes. But uh, will we put our life on the line to serve our community? Yes, we will. That's what we signed up for. The LAPD, like other agencies I've covered, doesn't always allow individual officers to speak with the media. And that can make it hard for journalists like me to capture the perspective of those officers in our coverage. It's also difficult for officers to talk about problems like racism within their own department because their colleagues don't always have the best reaction. At a time when everyone is trying to figure out a better path forward in American policing, I think officers' perspectives are worth hearing. Covering the LAPD can be an intense job. People have really strong opinions on the issues I write about, and they let me know it. Readers have accused me of blindly loving and defending the police. They've accused me of hating the police and tearing them down unfairly. There have even been times when I've gotten both types of comments on the same story. I don't think either is true. I think police officers are human and do a tough job. I also believe strongly that police officers have a lot of power and deserve scrutiny because of that. And I realize that the same could be said about reporters covering criminal justice issues at major media outlets, like me. I said earlier that I think the perspective of rank-and-file officers is important. That's because they're central stakeholders, central players, in a lot of the criminal justice scenarios that are attracting so much attention these days. Both officers and activists have direct insight into how police policies play out on the street. Activists often seek me out to share their thoughts about that, about those policies, about where they think officers are breaking policy. But officers rarely do. I think in large part because they're literally told not to by the police department. I wish they would contact me more. I wish they were allowed to. And if any of you are listening, please do reach out to me. I take my job seriously. I try to be fair, try to speak truth to power, and try to get at the nuance beneath the issues I cover. It's not always easy, and I can always do better. But I'm grateful for the people who are willing to share their stories. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Marina Pena, and Melissa Kaplan. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. 
Our editors are Shani Hilton and Lauren Rabb. Our intern is Ashley Brown, and our theme music is by Andrew Epen. I'm Kevin Rector. We'll be back next week with all the news. Thanks. <laughs>